Hey, welcome to More Than Bread, a podcast that without apology believes that we need more than bread, more than fine food, more than luxurious cruises and great jobs, more than all the stuff of the world, even more than family and friends. We need every word that comes from the mouth of God in order to thrive. And it and it's not just the reading of the word. We listen, we learn, and we lean into it. When our heart is to to listen and learn and lean. The Spirit of God breathes life into the Word of God and the people of God. We thrive. So my name is Dan. I'm a longtime pastor, sometimes host, current Bible reader, and fellow eater of the Word. And this is episode number 227 of More Than Bread. We're in the midst of a series that we've called Letters from Prison. Four letters that Paul wrote to friends and churches that he had helped to start. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. We've already finished Ephesians, and in a handful of episodes, we'll finish Philippians, and then we'll be on to Colossians. Philippians is one of the greatest short books on extreme, radical, soul-shaping, Jesus-craving joy. It's an amazing book. I mean, think about this. Paul is sitting in prison, not knowing if the next day would be his last day, and the one word he could not get out of his mind as he writes to his friends in Philippi was the word joy. Rejoice. I mean, that that word, that call to have joy, to be filled with joy, to rejoice, it's woven throughout his, his letter. Why? Pure and simple, because of Jesus. Paul had a passion for Jesus, and Paul had the Jesus for whom he had a passion, and, and Paul's goal was to get even more of this Jesus than he had already obtained. So listen to Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. That'll bring us to the end of chapter 3. And I got to be honest, I'm kind of slow to leave chapter 3 because it's so good. But here's what Paul writes. Not that I've already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal. And and, and let me pause for a moment and just say two times now, he's he said press on and he's used the word goal. What are you pressing on towards? What goal do you have in life that you are pressing on towards? Paul says, I press on, verse 14, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, then too, God will make it clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Let us do what we know, in other words. Verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before, and I'll tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Again, let me pause and just, that's such a great reminder for those of us who who really do believe that that there's more than bread, that we need more than bread to thrive. When our our God becomes our stomach, when our stomach becomes our God, then our destiny becomes destruction. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind, Paul says, is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. 
Now, there's there's a few. There's actually three different phrases and ideas that I want to comment on from these verses. And the first is in verse verses 12 through 14. And Paul just says, I press on. Two times, I press on, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on. I've got a goal. I haven't obtained it. So I, I need to press on, forget what's in the past and focus on what is to come. If we want to make a difference in our world today, there will be times when we just need to press on. For example, I love this story. God gave Karen Bennett and five friends a broken heart for inner city kids in one of the roughest sections of Atlanta. Karen was a 23-year-old with a great job, but the emptiness she saw in the eyes of those kids was just too much to ignore. And, and so she and her friends decided to create a safe place for kids in the midst of a drug-infested inner city war zone, kind of a, a church for kids in an old, old nightclub. They needed $2,000 a month just to rent the building, which might as well have been $2 million because when they put all their money together, the six of them had about $52 and change. So they started going around to churches and nonprofits trying to raise money. Nobody was interested, but Karen wouldn't give up. She pressed on. She called a meeting, and when the six of them came together, Andy Stanley shared her story in his book on leadership, said, when we got together that night and and we just talked about it. It was one of those nights that we just had to be honest with ourselves. Was this what we were going to do or just one of those things that we were going to be talking about until we were 40 or 50 years old? So we decided that we were going to take a chance because every once in a while, you just have to do that. What are they doing? They're pressing on. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, they're pressing on. The next day, she said, we went to our landlords, we handed in the leases on our apartments, and two weeks later, the six of them moved into that abandoned nightclub to live because they couldn't afford to pay the rent for the nightclub and their apartments. Everybody thought they were crazy. The place had no showers, the closest restroom was a fast food four blocks away, no heat or air conditioning, but it did have 17-inch sewer rats. Each week, they deposited their paychecks in the ministry account, took out $20 for personal expenses. On weekends, they went door-to-door meeting kids. They made over 4,000 personal visits a week. And when Stanley shared their story, Karen and her staff of 16 were serving 1,000-plus kids and 200-plus teens. But, man, there was some hard stuff along the way. Times when they had to choose whether they are going to press on or give up. Their building was broken into over 70 times. Karen was mugged. Three of her staff were beaten by teens who attended one of their services. Two of the first kids who came were murdered. And the first funeral Kim did was for one of her own staff. And Karen's response to all of this, she said, if you decide that what God is asking you to do with your life is just too much on you and it's just a little too inconvenient, then you're never going to see the miracles that he has for you. In other words, she's saying, I'm going to press on. I'm going to forget the past. I'm going to look to the future. I'm going to strain to reach the end of the race. Don't settle for false finish lines. There's more. Jim Cimbalan in his, in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, talks about Back when they started things at Brooklyn Tabernacle and things were really difficult, there's no more than a handful of people coming, not enough money in the offerings to pay the utilities, let alone their salary. And meanwhile, their neighborhood was literally going to hell. 
He writes in his book, I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. Carol and I didn't want merely to mark time. I longed and I cried out for God to change everything. Me, the church, our passion for people, our praying. One day I told the Lord I would rather die than merely tread water throughout my career in the ministry, always preaching about the power of the word and the spirit, but never seeing it. I abhorred the thought of just having more church services. I hungered for God to break through in our lives and our ministry. In other words, he was pressing on. You know, with all my heart, I believe that God wants to pour out a blessing upon us. The greatest blessing is the blessing of his presence. Blessing is an Aramaic word. It literally means to bend the knee. And when we bless God, we bend our knee in worship. And when God blesses us, he bends his knee to come down into our presence. And it's his presence. He he brings all the blessings of his presence. And I'm telling you, do not settle for false finish lines. God has more for you. There's more of God to know and experience. The windows of heaven have yet to be fully opened. And the pressing on isn't just needed for what we're doing. Even more importantly, it's needed for who we are becoming, right? I mean, how often have you thought in a time of failure, a time when you wanted to be like Jesus a lot more than you looked like Jesus? How often have you thought, man, that's the story of my life. I'm I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to change. Paul says, press on. Don't you dare quit. God's not done working through you, and God's not done working in you. The next phrase I want to camp out on for a moment is in verse 17. Paul says in verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Join together and follow my example. And and you realize just from reading (laughs) Philippians 3, if you're going to follow Paul's example, you would have to recognize that you are on a God-captivated, Christ-craving journey. I, I don't know if you've realized this, but sometimes the very best thing we can do is hang out with people who know God better than we do. And when we do that, what we need is we need their hearts to rub off on us. We need their passions, their sense of devotion. We need to see them on their knees. And, and you know, they don't even have to be alive for that. I, I, I go to authors A.W. Tozier is one of those guys for me. One of his books I've read dozens of times. It's called The Pursuit of God. Back in the 1940s, Tozier was on a train trip from Chicago to Texas, and he started writing. He wrote through the night, and by the time he arrived, he had the rough draft of the description of a heart of a person who was God-captivated, hungry for Christ. Every time I read it, God grabs my heart again with words like this. In this hour of all but universal darkness, one cheering gleam appears within the fold of conservative Christianity. There are to be found increasing numbers of persons whose religious lives are marked by a growing hunger after God himself. They are eager for spiritual realities and will not be put off with words, nor will they be content with correct interpretations of truth. They are a thirst for God, and they will not be satisfied till they have drunk deep at the fountain of living water. Later in the book, he said, For it is not mere words that nourish the soul, but God himself. And until the hearers find God in personal experience, they are not the better for having heard the truth. The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring people to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and the center of their hearts. 
Have you ever had one of those experiences where God just kind of grabs your heart and squeezes, and it's like, it hurts so good. <laughs> For me, the so good part comes when I I can just kind of faintly hear God's whisper say, that could be you, Dan. That, that's what I have for you. I want to give that to you. Listen, I know we think that knowing God is hard and mysterious, but he wants to be known. Sometimes he'll wait till we want to know him, but he wants to be known by us. And, and Paul gives us that example. So press on. Press on. Don't quit. Follow Paul's example. Don't quit chasing after Christ. One of Paul's prayers for his friends later on is, I pray that you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And, and all that means is, is press on. That, that is a press on prayer. Uh, a number of years ago, we had a retirement party for my dad. He didn't want any speeches, so I didn't get a talk. But I wrote him a letter, and in the letter I told him that few things have impacted me more than his spirit of perseverance. He persevered in his commitment to work, man. He was a hard worker, always moved up, always gave his employer more than re he received. He persevered in his moral convictions. I don't think my dad ever told a lie. His integrity was off the charts. He persevered in, in his hunger for God, a quiet hunger for more of Christ. And, and he lives that out, and so does my mom. See, we need to find people who know Jesus better than we do, who treasure Christ more than we do, who have a, a hungry passion that elevates Christ in their lives, and then follow their example. Last phrase that I want to give a moment to is this curiously arresting reminder from Paul in verse 20 that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. You realize that if if our country actually believed those words and they didn't allow dual citizenship to vote in elections, we, we couldn't even vote. We're citizens of heaven. Now, I understand some of you are thinking, well, okay, but that means I've got dual citizenship. Maybe you do, but, but if that's the case, which matters most to you? Which one overrides the other? If you had to give up one, which one would you give up? Which citizenship shapes your culture and your heart and your mind the most? When Paul talks about our citizenship in heaven, really what he's saying is that we're part of another kingdom. That's how Jesus referred to it. Our, our primary address is kingdom of heaven, not kingdom of earth. See, in a biblical sense, everyone has a kingdom. Your kingdom is your reach, what you control, that part of your life where what you say goes. Dallas Willard calls it the range of your effective will. <laughs> I've used this illustration before, but I remember as a kid when we'd go on family vacations, many years our trip was from South Dakota to California to visit relatives and sitting in a car with four siblings on a three-day journey is all about protecting and expanding your kitty-sized kingdom, right? You draw a line on the seat, my kingdom starts here, thou shalt not cross that line, but of course they do. My goodness, they always do because your brother's trying to expand his kingdom, and so you resort to the master of a larger kingdom, dad. Kim touched me. She reached over the line and she touched me. It's not my fault, Dad, Kim responds. He has too much space. <laughs> and sooner or later, Dan Dad turns around. What does he say? You guys better stop fighting or I'm going to come back there. And why does he say that? Because in his mind, the whole car is his kingdom. And as a kid, you're thinking, nah, he won't do that. I'm safe in my little kingdom. And then he taps on the brakes and starts pulling over to the side. And you know those kids are not praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in the back seat as it is in the front seat. 
But but here's the deal. Every kingdom other than the kingdom of heaven is heading towards its ending. It's not forever. It does not have the power of life, and it's not our primary kingdom. Our citizenship in heaven is far more important than our political party. You realize that, right? I was in high school when the moral majority started, going to change America through the political process. For over 45 years, evangelical Christians have been trying to build that little kingdom. According to a Pew Research study in 1972, 90% of the people in America self-identified as a Christian. In 2020, it was 62%. In 2070, it's projected to be between 35 and 45%. So often when I'm talking to a Christian about politics, at some point someone will say, yeah, but Dan, we got to do something. And I agree. But how about seek first the kingdom of God? How about love your neighbors? How about extraordinary prayer and fasting? How about living like we are actually citizens of heaven? See, the thing that a follower of Jesus brings into our citizenship as Americans or any other country, the the best thing is, is the unshakable power and grace and beauty of the kingdom of heaven. That's where our citizenship lies. That's where our power comes from. That's the source of our unshakable hope, and that's our ultimate home. Greg Boyd is a pastor in our network. He's been a teacher at Bethel College, and a childhood friend of mine was one of his elders when he preached through a sermon series on the kingdom of God. And in the series, he said that the kingdom of God always looks like Jesus Christ, and therefore it cannot be associated with any particular political or nationalistic ideology. By the end of that series, he'd lost over 20,000, 20%, excuse me, of his congregation, over a thousand people left because he wouldn't say that Jesus was a Republican or a Democrat. See, they didn't understand where their citizenship was. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6, 33, said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And Paul says, press on. Press on. Forget what's behind and press on to what is to come. Follow my example. Follow my example, because you are a citizen of heaven. Let me pray for you. Father God, I I pray that you would impress upon our hearts and our souls, our minds, that that we are citizens of heaven, that our citizenship is in heaven, that, that when we're praying, God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're really saying is, God, would you bring our, our, our home down here? Would you make it down here like it is up there? Father, forgive us for too often making our citizenship in our, our nation, our national ideology, our primary citizenship, our most important citizenship. God, forgive us for not focusing more on the citizen, our citizenship in heaven. God, I pray that you would help us to live like citizens of heaven. I pray that the thought of heaven and, and the hope of heaven and, and the return to heaven and heaven coming down here on earth would, would be the thing that drives us. God, would you give us a hunger like Paul had? And would you help us to press on? God, would you help us to press on, to not give up, to not quit, quit, but to press on? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.